while medication can be important for some people, I would often say it can sometimes be life changing. It's not the only answer. And indeed, for many people, it's not the answer at all. So let's look at some potential solutions and suggestions to support your positive mental health. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Welcome to In the Doctor's Chair, where today I'm going to talk about positive lifestyle changes to support your mental health. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, or even if you're new to it, you will learn that I am biased. We all have our own inherent biases. And my bias is that I believe quite simply that your health is the greatest gift you have. It's never static. It's always open to improvement. And of course, by health, a state of physical, emotional and relational well-being, as opposed to simply the absence of illness. That's based on the World Health Organization definition of health. And of course, what I mean by that is that when I'm talking about your mental health, I'm not talking about mental illness. These two terms, mental health and mental illness, are often mixed up, particularly by some of the so-called experts in the influencer and social media space who are either unqualified and or don't work in clinical practice with patients every day. So I'm not talking about mental illness as such, because mental illness really affects people who have really serious, significant, sometimes life-changing challenges from serious conditions, including, but not exclusively limited to, um, conditions such as schizophrenia, various forms of psychosis, bipolar disorder, very severe forms of depression, severe eating disorders, and many others. And with younger people also developmental and or behavioral issues, uh, including autism or autism spectrum disorder. And of course, all of these conditions require specialist intervention. They're all serious and deserve important and priority resourcing and all appropriate support services um, from the health system. This podcast is not about any of that. Um, I'm talking about the everyday. I'm talking about what we see as our, our core patients in our practice each and every day. When I see people coming into me who are suffering from toxic stress or overwhelm or issues relating to their mental health, whether those issues are triggered from anxiety or burnout, panic disorder, loss or various forms of bereavement, uh, low mood, sleep disturbance, 
or per, perhaps a fondness for, for alcohol or gambling or other addictive substances. That's the, that's the, I suppose the 90 to 95% that you see in primary care. So if you just take a step back for a moment and think about how we have survived and thrived down through the millennia as primitive hunter gatherers we had plenty of movement we stayed strong we stayed agile throughout our lives we got up at dawn and got outdoors and really soaked up that blue light we got restorative sleep at night time there was definitely no tech distractions back then we lots of social support through the close interconnection with our tribe and of course there was a complete absence of noxious substances and our diets consisted primarily of foraging for berries and nuts and uh, maybe some salmon or fish that we caught and so on. So it's hardly surprising if you think about it that as the modern, more sedentary based lifestyle has moved more and more away from that natural state, that health related issues have increased, whether those issues are physical or mental or relational or emotional. That's the background mood music at an individual level. And of course, then at a societal level, the environments we spend our time in can so often be health depleting. Just think about the epidemic of distraction and busyness, information overload in, in a world where there's not just so much stress, but there's so much more polarity in the world now with increasing feelings of chaos and conflict and also climate anxiety. So there's so much going on out there. And while there's no doubt that our genetic factors and our genetic makeup have an impact on our health, it, it's probably much less than we would have traditionally thought. In fact, we now believe that perhaps 70, 75, even up to 80 percent of our genetic expression comes through our epigenome. That's like the switch for your DNA. And that switch is turned on or turned off by your everyday lifestyle habits. So your DNA is, is certainly not set in stone. And now I just want to mention a new study looking at almost 300,000 people in the United Kingdom over a nine-year period. It identified seven separate lifestyle factors that reduced the risk of developing depression. And this plugs in totally with my message about a healthy lifestyle. So these seven factors included a healthy diet, plenty of physical activity, never smoking, keeping your alcohol consumption to moderate amounts, having frequent social connections, getting adequate restorative sleep and keeping sedentary behavior to a minimum. In other words, sitting down less. Those people who had the most number of these positive lifestyle factors in their lives were 50% less likely to develop depression compared to those who had the least amount. The most important factor in this research for preventing depression turned out to be getting enough sleep, getting at least seven and up to nine hours per night. And that lowered depression risk in this research by 22%. What's interesting about the lack of sleep is that it may be a little bit of chicken and egg. Lack of sleep may trigger low mood or low mood may and significant life stress may impact your ability to sleep. In terms of the other lifestyle factors, in terms of how they reduced your risk of developing depression, this research showed regular exercise reduced it by 14 percent, 
not sitting down too much reduced by 13%, moderating your alcohol consumption reduced depressive symptoms by 11%, never smoking by 20%, and a healthy diet by 6%. While strong social connections became recognized as the best protective factor against recurrent depressive disorder, reducing the risk by 18%. And the reason I'm sharing this research with you, and, and any research, it's not cast in stone, it's, it's, it's a measure of a moment in time, but, but I think it is really interesting because what I think it does is it reflects what I'm seeing every day in my surgery. What I mean by that is while medication can be important for some people, I would often say it can sometimes be life-changing. It's not the only answer. And indeed, for many people, it's not the answer at all. So let's look at some potential solutions and suggestions to support your positive mental health. So I want to start with this idea of talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, going to a suitably trained professional therapist can give you the time and space to discuss your worries, your anxieties, your stresses. It's really interesting. You get a chance to hold your thoughts and beliefs up to the light. You become enabled to see things a little bit differently. And of course, we all spend our lives inside our own heads and we all see things in our own unique way. And being able to see things differently can be invaluable. Um, it really can be really good to talk. And um, if you're a friend of somebody, it can be really be good to listen to. It can be even better to listen. So let's get back and look at these lifestyle changes. So exercise, first of all. Now, I call exercise and movement the greatest pill of all because it gifts you so many positivity neurochemicals from serotonin and dopamine to oxytocin and noradrenaline, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and many others. And what these do is they really act as an antidote to feelings of anxiety. They enable you to recharge from stress, boost your confidence, boost your mood, boost your feelings of positivity. It's been shown that as little as 10 minutes of walking can change for the better how you feel. In other words, 10 minutes of walking can change your emotional state. Strength training um, separately, it releases myokines that cross the blood-brain barrier that boost serotonin, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, supporting not just more feelings of confidence and positivity, but a stronger, more agile, resilient brain. Now, in terms of food as medicine, it turns out that the trillions of bugs, bacteria that live in your gut they're known as the microbiome. They are being increasingly recognized to interact with your hormones and various chemicals and messengers inside your body and cells that influence your mood, impact your mental well-being, influence your immune system, cellular inflammation in the body. And this is really the, the basis of this idea of food for mood, how foods such as vegetables and fruit, think of color, all the colors in the rainbow, also nuts and seeds, oily fish, dark chocolate can positively impact mood. Hippocrates, 
I think he was way ahead of his time when he said that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. What an interesting idea. Now, sleep plays a really important role in recharge from stress. It also clears away broken bits of protein and cellular clutter from the brain. REM sleep, which is a part of the sleep process where you dream. And that's a really important part of sleep to enable you to clear out everyday life stressors and anxieties. So if you're sleep deprived, you won't get enough REM sleep. So you tend to feel more anxious and stressed the next day. So really it's little surprise that a good night's sleep is the foundation stone to feeling well. And as Benjamin Franklin once said, helping to make you healthier, wiser and wealthier. Early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. Recharge from stress is a very interesting idea because while stress per se is neither good nor bad, certainly excess stress, toxic stress can have a very destructive and negative impact on your well-being. If you think about how common and prevalent burnout is nowadays, and burnout, of course, is defined by feelings of emotional exhaustion and emptiness, depersonalization, a feeling of lack of personal accomplishment. No matter how hard you're working, you just seem to get less and less done. Recharge from stress has never been more important. And there are so many ways that you can do that. Spending time in nature, having a great conversation with, with a friend, creating some flow experiences in your life, engaging in your hobbies, having simple downtime, turning that phone off earlier, getting a good night's sleep, learning to say no, to prioritize what's important and to really appreciate that you're not a machine. You're not a KPI of economic activity. You're a human being and you need to take really good care of yourself. That enables everything around you to get better over time and certainly to become far more sustainable. Just a word on noxious substances. If you smoke, that's bad news. Please stop. It's never too late and there's so much help and support now. I do empathize with any smoker. It's so incredibly addictive, but it's never too late to stop. In terms of alcohol, I call that a good servant, but a very bad master. There's so much research that shows that um, excess alcohol uh, has a very negative impact on your health and well-being. And while some people do drink too much in terms of, of the impact on their health, some people simply fail to appreciate the negative impact that small amounts of alcohol may be having on your health and well-being. Just remember for a minute that alcohol is a legal depressant. As such, it's a major trigger of feelings of anxiety, panic, low self-esteem, depleting and depressing mood and increasing feelings of impulsivity. So perhaps that's enough said about that. I think one, one thing about alcohol is to look at the amount you're drinking. And the second thing that, and I see this a lot as a GP, is what impact is the drink you're taking having on your health and well-being? In other words, how do you feel the following morning? How do you feel the following day? And perhaps as an experiment, you could consider cutting it out for a little while or, or certainly cutting down and seeing do you feel better? Because at the end of the day, 
I'm hoping you'll become a more active participant in your own well-being and take more ownership of your own well-being journey because life for all of us is an experience to be lived and enjoyed. Now, as for other illicit drugs or cocaine, there there are a lot of uh, very negative uh, side effects to those that, that, that really is beyond uh, the scope of this podcast. I'll probably do a separate episode on those separately later on. Now, in terms of your interpersonal relationships, we are human beings. We thrive with strong, supportive interpersonal relationships. This is backed up by the Harvard Study of Adult Development. It's ongoing since 1928. It's found that relationships are the leading indicator of your well-being and your happiness long term. On the other hand, loneliness can be incredibly destructive for your mental, emotional and physical health. As I've said already, it's good to talk and it can be even better to feel listened to, valued, respected, appreciated and supported. So I'm going to end this podcast with a question. What's one thing you can do today to support your own mental health? And what's one thing you can do to reach out and support someone else? Because we are all better together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.